everyone. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a show that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free educational resource, you can support the show and get access to past bonus episodes by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Don for their recent contribution. If Patreon isn't your thing, but you still want to support the show, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Okay, let's get on to today's episode. If I were to be self-deprecating and downplay the significance of the kinds of discussions we have here on Words for Granted, I would say, listen to Words for Granted so you can learn English language trivia. Trivia. Obscure facts that are fun to share at dinner parties, but also not particularly useful in everyday life. Facts that are better suited for a competitive board game than a job interview. When contrasted with hard skills or common sense, it's easy to typecast knowledge of trivia as petty or trivial. Trivial, the word's adjective form, literally means unimportant. So, one might assume that this sense of unimportance or uselessness is baked into trivia's etymology. But if you're a regular listener of the show, You know how these things work by now. If that were the case, I wouldn't be dedicating an entire episode to exploring the word's history. The etymology of trivia is right there in the word in plain sight. Trivia, or tri-via. So tri is a word-forming element that comes from the Latin word for three, making it cognate with English words like tricycle, tripod, and words like trio and trilogy, while via comes from the Latin word for street, way, route, or path. The Romance languages have inherited similar meaning cognates of this word, and as a matter of fact, so has English. In English, via literally means by way of, and it comes from this same word lineage. So there you have it, trivia, or tri-via. Three streets. Whatever could three streets have to do with useless information or a quiz game based on useless information? As with so many of our episodes, we need to go back to ancient Rome to get the context we need. At the height of its power and prestige, the Roman Empire was famous for its public works, things like aqueducts, baths, sewers, and, not least among them, roads. Roman roads ranged from narrow local streets to proto-highways connecting things like distant cities and military bases all across the empire. According to contemporary accounts, it's likely that these Roman roads were better maintained than the average asphalt road today. Anyway, a three-way intersection of Roman roads was known as a trivium, or trivium in more proper Latin. The word Trivia is actually the plural of trivium. In Latin, the letter V was pronounced with the W sound, hence that difference in pronunciation. So these three-way intersections, or trivia, became a place where ordinary folks from different parts of a city, or even different parts of the empire, could do ordinary things like rest, drink, 
talk about the weather, gossip, and even trade some small goods. This kind of ordinary activity gave trivia a reputation for what we would today call trivialities. Because Roman trivia, again, these three-way intersections, because they experienced such heavy traffic by common citizens, the word trivia began to take on a sense meaning an open or public place, much like the better-known Greek term agora or agora. By extension, the adjective trivial, or trivialis in Latin, came to mean public, which through the process of pejoration acquired connotations like common, ordinary, mundane, or unimportant. Pejoration is when the connotation or meaning of a word becomes more negative over time. It's actually a quite common phenomenon. Although the connotation of common isn't inherently negative, its inclusion among the other shades of meaning I just mentioned, like mundane or unimportant, suggests that the overall attitude toward the word trivial or trivialis in this context was probably negative. But keep in mind that even as these new connotations evolved, during the classical period, trivium and its derived forms still primarily referred to three-way crossroads. This more literal sense is preserved in the Romans' epithets for the Greek goddess Hecate. Hecate, goddess of crossroads, was often depicted in a triple-bodied form, and to the Latin-speaking Romans, she came to be known as Trivius Dea, roughly the three-way goddess, or more simply, Trivia. The goddess Trivia, or Trivia, was not a protector of miscellaneous information, but a protector of travelers and pilgrims. Trivia was also an epithet for the goddess Diana, a similarly trimorphic goddess who was also associated with crossroads. Diana will actually come up again in our story a little bit later, so remember that. So let's jump ahead about a thousand years. During the medieval period, the most widespread meaning of trivia, or really trivium, its singular form, referred neither to miscellaneous useless information nor to crossroads, but to an educational curriculum. In medieval universities, grammar, logic, and rhetoric were collectively known as the trivium. Mastery of the trivium was a prerequisite for studying the quadrivium, which comprised arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. Together, the trivium and quadrivium made up the seven liberal arts, the traditional curriculum of higher education in Western universities. The term liberal arts still exists in higher education today, of course, but in a more modernized sense that includes the natural sciences, social sciences, arts, and humanities. The trivium and quadrivium are so named for the number of subjects contained in each division, three and four, respectively. Although grammar, logic, and rhetoric had been part of classical education as far back as ancient Greece, they didn't come to be known collectively as the trivium until the late 8th century CE during the Carolingian Renaissance. This coinage emerged as a parallelism to the coinage of arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music as the quadrivium, which came first. So, at face value, the classical sense of trivium, which again was a three-way crossroad, and the medieval sense of trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, don't seem to have anything in common except for the fact that they both describe a group of three things. 
Well, what about trivial? Is there a common thread between the classical and medieval senses of trivial? Recall that in classical Latin, trivial acquired a range of negative connotations such as common, ordinary, mundane, or unimportant. In the newer medieval Latin sense, trivial came to mean pertaining to the subjects of the trivium. And counterintuitive as this might seem, this also acquired an occasionally negative connotation, at least to some individuals, namely those students who had passed through the trivium and were now studying the quadrivium. To give a modern-day analogy, the trivium was like an undergraduate program, while the quadrivium was like a master's program. So you can imagine a snobby medieval university student looking back at their trivial studies, that is, their study of the trivium, as trivial in the modern sense of the word. Now, if you're mathematically savvy, you may be familiar with terms like trivial proof or trivial solution. If a mathematical solution or theorem is trivial, it means that it's extremely simple or self-evident. This mathematical sense of trivial emerged in medieval universities, and it implicitly relegates the status of the trivium as inferior to that of the quadrivium. It's basically like saying all that stuff that we learned in the trivium is just super easy and basic for us now. Sticking to our analogy of the trivium and quadrivium, respectively representing undergraduate and master's programs, we might literally translate the mathematical sense of trivial into modern English as undergradish. For more context on the mathematical sense of trivial, here's an excerpt from the Mathematical Triviality page on Wikipedia. Quote, In mathematics, the adjective trivial is often used to refer to a claim or a case which can be readily obtained from context, or an object which possesses a simple structure. The noun triviality usually refers to a simple technical aspect of some proof or definition. The opposite of trivial is non-trivial, which is commonly used to indicate that a mathematical example or a solution is not simple, or that a statement or theorem is not easy to prove. End quote. Now, keep in mind that we've been discussing the evolution of trivia, trivial, and triviality in Latin. Of these three, trivial is the first to appear in the English written record during the late 15th century, and its usage is in reference to the trivium. Not in the pejorative mathematical sense just discussed, but in a neutral sense meaning pertaining to the study of grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So far, I haven't even alluded to how the modern sense of trivia emerged, but we're just about to get there. Before we do, I want to take a minute or two to tell you about the Lingoda Language Sprint Challenge, an intensive two-month language learning program that you just may be able to participate in for free. So what is Lingoda? Lingoda is an online language learning school taught by professional language teachers. They offer 24-7 live classes in German, Spanish, French, and English, including business English, so you can learn according to a schedule that's convenient to you. One of the things I like best about Lingoda is that you can customize your learning experience within their curriculum. So let's say you're in the beginner Spanish course, but you already know the alphabet, you already know como estas, mucho gusto, etc. Then you can skip over those very beginner classes and jump right into the one that suits you at your personal level. I myself am progressing through the beginner Spanish course, and this is exactly what I did. The teachers I've had do a really great job of getting everyone in class to speak, not just 
answering questions or doing solo exercises, but really engaging in real conversations. So what is that part that I said about it being free? If you sign up for Lingoda now, you'll be able to participate in the Lingoda Sprint Challenge. If you enroll in 15 classes per month for the next two months and you attend all of your classes, you'll get 50% cash back from your enrollment fee. If you enroll in 30 classes per month for the next two months and you attend all of those classes, you'll get 100% cash back, aka the program is free. So if you're up for the Lingoda Sprint Challenge, I have a deal for Words for Granted listeners. You can follow the direct link in the show notes or go to lingoda.com and enter the promo code WORDSPRINT, all caps, at checkout to get $25 off your Sprint Challenge purchase. That's lingoda.com, L-I-N-G-O-D-A, and promo code WORDSPRINT. Okay, back to the show. One of the earliest English usages of trivial resembling our sense of the word today appears in Shakespeare's play Henry VI, Part Three. In it, the character Suffolk says, quote, The king will labor still to save his life, the commons happily rise to save his life, and yet we have but trivial argument. End quote. From the context, it's clear that Shakespeare is using the word in a sense meaning trite, commonplace, or unimportant. This take on trivial comes from the old pejorative sense of the word that first emerged in classical Latin. Trivia, on the other hand, would sort of not emerge as a noun in English until much later in the 20th century. I say sort of because there is an 18th century exception. Let's take a look at it. In 1716, the English poet John Gay published a poem entitled Trivia, or The Art of Walking in the Streets of London, and this is the first time the word trivia gets widespread airplay in English. Gay's Trivia is a satirical poem describing the mundane perils and mishaps of walking the streets of his contemporary London, and the title is really an homage to the original Latin sense of trivia, meaning three-way crossroad. The poem's opening stanza contains a mock invocation of Diana, one of the Roman goddesses of crossroads mentioned earlier in this episode, and if you recall, Trivia itself was actually another name by which the goddess Diana was known. Now, there's nothing new about the usage of Trivia in the title of this now-obscure 18th-century poem. It's basically just the Latin sense of the word. On the face of it, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the evolution of our modern sense of Trivia, and thus, it might not even seem worth mentioning. But the title of this poem did actually influence the title of another literary work published in the 20th century, and that did in fact give birth to the meaning of trivia we use today. So we're going to circle back around to this in a second. Let me give you the context. So in 1902, the British writer Logan Pearsall Smith published a book called Trivialities, Bits of Information of Little Consequence. The contents of the book were true to its title, and the initial performance of the book in the marketplace was also true to its title. It was a commercial failure. But in 1918, the book was republished and received both critical praise and a wider audience. For this second edition, the title of the book was changed to Trivia. And there we have it. The first attested usage of trivia in relation to factoids and useless information in Logan Pearsall Smith's book. 
While Smith didn't create the word trivia out of whole cloth, he did maybe unintentionally coin this unique association. In the 1918 edition of Trivia, Smith writes, quote, I know too much. I have stuffed too many of the facts of history and science into my intellectuals. My eyes have grown dim over books, believing in geological periods, cave dwellers, Chinese dynasties, and the fixed stars has prematurely aged me. End quote. If that's not the stuff of trivia, our modern sense of trivia, then I don't know what is. The republication of trivia proved to be so popular that, in 1921, Smith wrote a sequel called More Trivia, and in 1933, he published a compilation of both works called All Trivia. So why didn't Smith stick with the word trivialities for his books containing information of little consequence? Well, as a word, trivia certainly rolls off the tongue better than trivialities does. It's shorter, punchier, and at the time, it would have seemed like a novel word. Literally, a new word for 95% of the general public who was unfamiliar with things like ancient Roman roadways and epithets of classical goddesses. However, Logan Pearsall Smith was highly educated and literary, and part of that 5% of the population that did know about Roman roadways and goddesses. And in his autobiography, entitled Unforgotten Years, he actually says that he revised the title from Trivialities to Trivia, inspired by the title of John Gay's 18th century poem Trivia, or The Art of Walking the Streets of London, which I mentioned a few minutes back. In the 1950s, trivia game shows such as Dotto, The $64,000 Question, and 21 became popular on American television, but to call them trivia game shows is an anachronism. They were called quiz shows. At this point, the term trivia hadn't quite gone mainstream yet, and it wasn't associated with useless knowledge in the context of a competitive game. It seems like trivia as a game emerged on college campuses during the 1960s. The earliest attestation of the word in this sense appears in, in a 1965 issue of the Princeton Alumni Weekly magazine. Describing trivia games on campus, the article says, quote, Nobody really wins in this game which concentrates on sports, comics, and television. Everyone knows that Amos's wife on the Amos and Andy show is Ruby, but who knows that she is from Marietta, Georgia? Trivia players do. They also know the fourth man in the infield of Tinker to Evers to Chance, the Canadian who shot down Baron Ron Richtofen, and can name ten Hardy Boy books. End quote. According to Google Ngram, which is a program that allows you to track the frequency of words over time as they appear in the written record, the growth of the word trivia from the late 1960s through the late 1980s is exponential. In 1982, two Canadian journalists created the massively popular board game Trivial Pursuit, permanently reinforcing the connection between trivia as useless information and trivia as a game. I recently read somewhere during my research that, since its release, Trivial Pursuit has sold over 1 billion board games around the world. Interestingly, the Ngram data shows another exponential spike in the usage of the word trivia in the early 2000s. And my only unverified explanation for that is the popularity of the quiz show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in the United States. 
All right. Well, that's it for this one. It was a bit of an informational journey, but I hope you loved it as always. If you want to send me a message, you can reach me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. And if you love the show, you can leave a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Okay, I'll talk to you soon and see you next time here at Words for Granted. 